Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. All right, my friends. It's good to see you all. Welcome back. Before we jump into tonight's talk, which will be on visualization or verbal fabrication practice, I did wanted to remind folks that our interview with Caverly Morgan dropped. Caverly just published her new book, The Heart of Who We Are, and I wanted to give a shout out to Molly Balin, who produced the podcast and got that interview all nice and tidy, which was great. She did a great job. I just got to hear it yesterday, and I wanted to give a shout out to Sounds True, who helped us hook that interview up. So I'm excited for Caverly's book. It just dropped uh, yesterday. And so the interview is on the podcast site, so you can get that along with everything else. So if you get a chance, it's really interesting. Caverly has a lot to say, and she was a former Zen monastic and just brings an incredible amount of wisdom to her teachings. It's a very practical and very contemporary book, so you can take a listen to the podcast and get a feel for Caverly's teachings. And she has an amazing voice, so she's just really well-skilled in the Dharma, has been teaching for years. Caverly was uh, the founder of Peace in Schools, which was the first uh, four-credit mindfulness classes for students, and that started in Portland, Oregon. So, yay for us. <laughs> Give a shout-out for Oregon. Anyway, so that podcast is up if you get a chance to check it out. But today, we are going to be talking about discernment and fabrication some more. So let me catch us up from uh, the last couple weeks. So we've been talking about Well, a few things. The crossroads of investigation and fabrication. So let's just get our terminology down to something practical because it's a mouthful. So discernment is our investigation factor. It's our curiosity. It's our interest in the present moment. So where mindfulness allows us to be present and grounds us in the truth of what is so and the arising and passing away of stuff, discernment is our interest in what is arising and passing away. It's Sometimes I'll say to myself, uh, discernment is the details, right? It's not just being present to something. It's the details of what exactly am I being present to? So discernment is looking at the details of what is arising, what is passing away, and I think most importantly, how am I contributing to what is arising and what is passing away? That's the real detail of the experience that we're trying to get down to. So that's discernment. Fabrication is the contribution we make to the present moment. It's how we're reacting. It's how we're creating or co-creating the experience. Sometimes I think one of my favorite uh, descriptions, which is not from me, it's from a different teacher and I can't remember at this point who it was from, but looking at the present moment as ingredients, like in a recipe, and we are given the ingredients, the ingredients arise either from outside of our experience or from past actions and the ingredients arise and then we do something with the ingredients we mix them we stir them we add spices our addition to what's arising that's the fabrication how we mix things the adding of the salt and pepper and garlic and sugar and 
the addition of greed, hatred, delusion, and craving and longing and all that good stuff. All of our addition to the ingredients and how we prepare the ingredients for the experience, that's our fabrication. So last week we talked a little bit about verbal fabrication, which just is another word in Buddhist psychology for self-talk, how the mind talks to itself. But more specifically, it's about the words. It's about the sentences and um, those thought trains that pull up to the station, right? Those kind of uh, real specific thinking to ourself, right? Thinking about others, judging ourselves, judging others, and the talk that goes around with it. That's the verbal contribution to the present moment. So I want to talk today about the mental contribution, the mental participation, which most of the time is translated as visualization. What the mind imagines moment to moment about the upcoming experience and the frameworks or the models that it imposes on the world before it engages or as it's engaging with reality. That's the mental contribution. So each moment you can think of your experience as a bringing together of thoughts, emotions, actions, and that bringing together is the experience. And in the backdrop, what's often happening is the mind is imagining what's happening just before it's happening. It's anticipating, it's expecting, it's predicting. And in doing that, it's visualizing the experience. And I'll explain to you how this works, but this is a really, I think this is a fun part of the path, visualization practice, uh, personally. But the reason, just to bring us back into the goal of enlightenment and awakening and relief of suffering, the reason we want to be in touch with these fabrications and these participatory contributions to experience is because suffering and happiness are fabrications. They are constructed and we participate in their construction. And so by really looking at what's being constructed, noticing with mindfulness how we're participating, that's where the doorway to freedom really begins to open up. So that's why we're doing this work. It's not just for funsies. <laughs> Although visual visualization practice is totally fun, but it's also with this end of freeing ourselves from suffering. That's really why we're engaging in this type of visualization practice. So what I thought I would do, like I often do, it seems like in talks, is kind of list off some of the challenges we have with the practice, where we get stumbling blocks, where we get tripped up. And in doing that, I hope to just elaborate what it means to actually engage in this process of imagination. Mental fabrication includes quite a bit of different experiences. So mental fabrication can be a visualization, a conceptualization, or some kind of model that we impose on reality to interpret, to understand, and to experience what's going on. And how we're imposing that onto the world is what contributes to the suffering. And the challenge oftentimes with visualization practice or mental fabrication for us as, I'm gonna presume American Buddhists, because I sort of identify in the Theravada, Vipassana category as a teacher, mostly Theravada, but American Buddhism is my, my home. In American Buddhism, we often look at visualization practice as the home of the Tibetan practices. When we think of mandalas or deity practices where you visualize deities or you use mandala images 
right? Like tankas, and you can see the sand paintings. That's what's become very popularized when we think of visualization practice. It usually is associated with the home of the Tibetans, and they have extensive, complicated, very detailed visualization practices that they do. And they're centered around, oftentimes, it varies school to school, but uh, oftentimes the quote-unquote deities are actually incarnations of qualities of enlightened beings. And so what you do is you visualize the particular incarnation of a particular enlightenment factor coming from a Theravada perspective, and you imagine what it's like to be able to embody that factor and imagine the deity having that factor. And it's a very strong concentration practice. And there's a lot of not selfing practice that goes along with it, but they're highly detailed um, and they take quite a bit of practice to get down. But most of the time, I think meditators think of that not really as a Theravada practice, but more along the lines of a Mahayana practice. So we're going to talk a little bit about how actually visualization practice is done throughout the Eightfold Path. We're, we're actually constantly doing it without knowing it. But the idea is to practice it intentionally. But we do have our own sort of Theravada flavor when we do um, uh, mental fabrication work. One of the challenges I've always had with visualization practice is actually the word visualization. And I finally found a way of talking about this, I think, that c captures my experience and the stumbling blocks I've had, especially in the beginning years of practice. Mental fabrication is often translated as visualization or associated with what we call visualization. And I finally figured out why I struggled with that. The problem is the word visual. Visualization practice isn't necessarily solely centered around visual images. But when we think of visualization practice, we think, oh, I have to imagine a visual image. And I'm not very good at that. A lot of people, when they start imagination practices, they're not very good at visualizing because you have to practice doing it. It's something that you end up getting good at over time. And so the way I think of it now is visualization is a little bit too much visual. It's about that kind of sends us to the eyes, right? And we have to remember that mental fabrication is a process of imagining. It includes visualizing, but it's an imagination practice right? And so it's not about the eyes. In fact, it's not about any of the sense doors. The sense doors are not even involved in mental fabrication. Mental fabrication is an imagining of a sense experience, right? And so it's just a very, for me, it helped when I stopped getting hung up on, I'm not good at making visual images in my brain. Because imagination practice, right? Mental fabrication can include imagining what something smells like, what something sounds like, what something feels like emotionally. It can be an imagination of an actual image or a shape or a person, but it can be a sense of situation. So it's not necessarily just an image. It's not, let me get good at making an image in my brain. It's, a, it's about imagining a whole experience of sense contact that actually hasn't happened yet, right? So that to me helped with practice. And another thing that helped with me in practice is there was a teacher that once said, when you begin mental fabrication practice, when you begin visualization practice, even if all you see is a bunch of haziness and a little bit of light, that's fine. You're doing fine. Just keep going. And that kind of freed me up because when I started doing visualization practice, I just kept saying like, I suck at this. Like I can't, 
It's hard for me to imagine things. But the fact is your mind is imagining stuff all the time and it's doing it very well. We just have to learn how to do it intentionally. So visualization, you might replace that word with imagination. You can imagine things in quite a few different ways. It's not just the visual image. So that's the first thing I wanted to, to say. The next thing that I got hung up on with this practice is mistaking verbal fabrication for mental fabrication. And so as we talked about last week with some examples, verbal fabrication is just how we talk to ourselves. It's the self-talk. We do a lot of this in, th in therapy. If anyone's been to therapy, you've probably heard the term negative self-talk. It's big in Western psychology. If you have it and you're just listening to my Dharma talk, you'll hear it, you'll hear it as well. But self-talk, right? Negative self-talk. We can have positive self-talk too, but most of the time when we think of verbal fabrication, it's the negative talk that tries to convince ourselves that we're not lovable and that we're not good enough and we're not succeeding at something. But the challenge with this is the language. Because how often, let's see how to put this, how often do you say to yourself something like, um, oh, I was thinking of watching a movie tonight, or I was thinking of going to see a friend for, for coffee. We use the word thinking when we're actually meaning imagining. So most of the time when we're saying, oh, I'm going to, on Friday, I have this meeting with this group of people. On Saturday, I'm going to go take my kids and do this thing. Oh, you know, tonight, maybe I'll sit down with my partner and we'll watch this movie on Netflix. You're not thinking about doing things. You're mentally fabricating the experience and you're, you're imagining what it's like and what it's going to feel like to actually engage in that experience. Now, granted, it's happening so subtly and so quickly that you're not really aware that it's happening. But imagine what it's like to anticipate meeting a friend. Maybe it's someone you haven't seen in a while and you're really excited. What your mind is actually doing on one level is engaging in mental fabrication. It's imagining the mood that will happen when you see them. It's imagining what you're gonna be doing with that person. So that's mental fabrication and it's happening every time we start to engage or long for an activity. Most of the time when we say we're thinking, what we're actually doing is visualizing, right? Imagining. And so that helped me to realize, oh, right, my mind does that quite a bit. And I'll give you an example. Last night, my wife and I, Molly, we decided to sit down and watch this horror movie that I was looking at that got good reviews. Uh, it's not really a horror movie. It's more like an art horror movie. It was um, Nope was the name of the, the movie. And as I sat down to watch the movie, I noticed that there was an an anticipation of being kind of creeped out. And that's the sensation I was looking for. I wanted to feel on edge. I wanted to feel that sense of fear, right? That's why you watch that kind of movie. But in retrospect, my mind was actually mentally fabricating the experience before it had the experience. In fact, the desire to watch the movie came from my mind fabricating a sensation and wanting that sensation to be real, having that be stimulated. So that's, that's why mental fabrication is so important is because our mind is doing this constantly in the background and we're actually really quite good at it. So if you find yourself saying, I'm not good at visualization practice, actually you've spent a lifetime training <laughs> in visualization and you're doing it all the time. So that also helped me when I was thinking of mental fabrication practice was realizing, oh yeah. Another example uh, is when you're about to eat a meal or when you're thinking, what am I hungry for? 
See, I just said it. I'm thinking what I'm hungry for. You're not really thinking about what you're hungry for. You're imagining, oh, do I want, do I want this food or that food? Part of you is imagining the taste and the smell and that desire for a particular food. You might even imagine where you're going to go to get it. Let's say you're going to order out or you're going to imagine picking it up at the store. So here the mind is fabricating an anticipation of taste, smell, and actual emotional experience of what this activity is going to bring. That's also mental fabrication, is that anticipatory sensory experience that is created in the heart and mind as we move through our, move through our day. So those are just some helpful tips just as we start to look at visualization practice. So I wanted to uh, point out some places in Theravada practice where we actually do engage in visualization and fabrication of this kind, but we don't really think of it that way, or we just don't intend to practice it this way. And then I'm going to give another few practical examples of how the mind fabricates on a day-to-day -day basis to give you kind of a deeper understanding. So one way that we do fabrication practice in Theravada Buddhism is taking refuge, taking refuge. We have our phrases, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. But the idea behind taking refuge is not just saying the word, not just like saying the words. It's like getting credit and checking off the boxes. Okay, I've said I took refuge in Buddha and check off this box, check off that box. When we're taking refuge, what we're trying to do is to cultivate an emotional experience, right? And how do we do this? Well, part of it is an imagination. So when we say, I take refuge in Buddha, what we're invited to do oftentimes is to imagine the qualities of an enlightened being. What does it feel like? What would it be like to be in the presence of someone who's awakened? What would it be like for me to be compassionate or equanimous or joyful? That's a mental fabrication. So yes, there's some verbal in there. We say, I take refuge in Buddha. But the heart of that practice is actually not a mantra practice or aphoristic practice. It's actually a mental fabrication. It's, it's an imagining. It's a imagining of the sense experience of feeling confident and inspired by this goal and practice of enlightenment and feeling confident that you can get there. That's all imagined, right? So when we imagine Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, we take each one of those words and we say them, that's the verbal part, but then we imagine the experience. We give it meaning in our hearts by fabricating mentally. What does it mean to have comfort and camaraderie in spiritual friendship? I take refuge in Sangha. So I can give you an example. So in this moment, fall back into the sensation of friendship. Aren't friendships awesome? Imagine your best friend and the feeling of having friendships. And what does that feel like to be loved by someone, for someone to know you, to know and be known by somebody? Just think of the term friendship and how does that feel? What does it feel like to have a good friend? Can you actually picture a good friend or a group of friends? Can you fabricate that experience and imagine what that feels like? That's mental fabrication. That's a visualization practice in refuge. 
And so throughout Theravada practice, we have these moments where we often don't realize that there is an additional part of the practice that really is an imagining. And the more we can take part in the visualization part of the practice, the imagination part, the deeper the experience of the meditation becomes and the more concentrated and clear the practice is for that moment. Other practices we use, loving kindness, right? All of our aspirational practices, may this be so, right? Whatever that might be. When we imagine or aspire for something to be the case, oftentimes part of the reason that practice is difficult is because it lands for us too verbally, right? It becomes like, well, I'm just saying words and it's not working. That's partly because when you add a imagination to your loving kindness practice, it deepens and enriches the experience of the sensation of loving kindness. So as I was suggesting earlier, oftentimes when students come to me and say, oh, loving kindness practice, I just don't get it. It's not working. My first response is, it's a do the mental fabrication. Don't just do it verbally as a series of words. Some of us can just say, may all beings be free. And that just cultivates an emotion. And the verbal part is all we need to kind of trigger the heart mind to get into that space. But for other folks, it helps to imagine. What is it to imagine a world that's free from harm? What does that feel like? If we wish the world well, what is it to imagine the world a world that has housing and medical care and is free from climate change and free from war and free from discrimination. What does that fabrication look like? And so we can practice that and it really does enliven the heart because again, we can do meditations where we can bring up a visual image of someone who isn't suffering, right? That's someone who might be free. We can bring an image of a positive emotion and what that might look like in the world or how you might show up in the world if that was the case. Like, what would it be for you to walk in the world as a kind, generous, loving being? What does that look like? What does the heart bring up as an image or a sensation when we look at that aspiration? So any aspiration practice can be done as a visualization, especially if the verbal part is just not landing for you. Sometimes the verbal part feels way too superficial. So we just do it as a visualization. It's equally powerful. And for some of us, it's more powerful when we do it that way. A couple others I really like to remind us of is generosity practice. So when we ask ourselves to gladden our hearts and gladden our minds, oftentimes, you know, it's routine these days for folks to say, let's call to the altar of our hearts something that's going well. What is the goodness in our life? Now, if we just say that, the mind might just trickle up a mental fabrication. It might just be like, oh, right, things are going well here or things are going well there. And that's fine. But we can actually intentionally draw up the image as part of the meditation to enrich and deepen the moment to moment experience about what we're having. So when we feel grateful, we can say, okay, what does it feel like to be grateful? Or we can imagine the goodness that we're grateful for. So both of those processes work for uh, generosity practice. And when we look at generosity, empathy is tied to generosity in that it helps for us to be empathetic to all beings, right? It helps for us to be able to look at someone's suffering 
and put ourselves in that person's shoes and then allow compassion to arise out of that connection, that heart-to-heart -heart connection, and then see a sense of generosity being the natural outcome of the empathy, right? We empathize with the suffering with, of others and that makes us want to help them end that suffering. That, of course, is partly a mental fabrication. Anytime your heart aches for the suffering of another being, anytime your heart feels empathetic or even sympathetic joy with another being, your mind, in part, is imagining you as that being. Your, your mind and heart is being, wow, I really feel how hard that must be for you. That's mental fabric. That moment, mental fabrication. So anytime you're feeling that empathy for another person, we can get attuned to mental fabrication. The, you can see that the mind is imagining what it's like to be in that person's shoes. And in fact, that is the definition of being able to be empathetic is to be able to mentally fabricate the experience of another. That's a part of what that actually is. And for folks who lack empathy or struggle with empathy, it is in part an inability to imagine what it's like to be in that person's situation. So there's a decrease or an inability to engage in mental fabrication. So whenever we do generosity, refuge practice, loving kindness, those are great doorways to practice visualization work. That's where we really can start practicing doing visualization and mental fabrication work. So one other thing I wanted to say is I wanted to point out a couple places in our lives where we, where the mind does mental fabrication. And I'm going to mention these because for me, it really helped me to see how clearly this happens all the time in my brain, <laughs> even though, of course, I'm not paying attention most of the time. But when I do pay attention, so few things I've already mentioned, but I'll just go down some of these others that I like to use as examples. So anytime you're daydreaming, I'm not the only one here who spends a good portion of the day not doing the work I think I'm doing and imagining something, something else. Mental fabrication, we're very good at that. Anytime you get bored and your mind's wandering, take note of the fabrication that's happening. Daydreaming is a big one. Another one that I think is really fun to look at, watching children play. You watch children play, make-believe, right? Their whole experience is make-believe, right? Let's pretend dot, dot, dot. I'm going to be this character. You're going to be that character. Let's pretend that this is happening. Or when children play with toys, yes, they're playing with toys, but they're imagining a bigger world, right? If they're playing with some object, they're, they're, in their imagination, the object is larger than life usually, right? It could be something that's really small that they're playing with, but their mental fabrication is huge, right? It's a whole world of make-believe. Like, do you remember, and I always encourage students to do this, just imagine when you're a kid and you're playing with your friends and you're doing those kind of role-play experiences where you basically assign roles, like you're going to be the dragon and I'm going to be the wizard and this is going to, and this little stick here is going to be the wand. And that's that beauty of mental fabrication, our ability to imagine a world that we know from the sense sense contact, but actually isn't. It's just completely a fabricated experience. And reminding ourselves of the joy that comes from play and imagination, that's part of the benefit of meditation and fabrication, is that we remind ourselves that we can actually fabricate joy, right? We can play. 
Our mind has the capacity to think beyond itself and cultivate a state of consciousness, whether it's loving kindness or gratitude or pretending you're Harry Potter or whatever the case may be. Whatever the newest thing is out there that's fun to pretend you are, um, that's the fabrication. Another one we don't think of is video games. Video games, even though they're really 3D these days, your mind is mentally fabricating an engagement with the image and it's creating a larger than life sensation, which gives it the thrill. The mind is engaging in mental fabrication and you're imagining yourself and putting yourself in a particular experience and it feels really good. That's another way of looking at mental fabrication. And one last one that I really like is acting, thinking of actors. You know that moment where you're watching a really good movie and you're familiar with an actor and you say to yourself, wow, the acting performance was so good. I didn't even see the actor. I just saw the character. And you're like, that's amazing that I was so convinced that those characters just seem so real. That's mental fabrication. The human being has the ability to imagine what it's like to be a character to such a degree that others are convinced that the character is real. And the person inhabiting the acting experience has the experience of being the character. And the reason I mention that one is because every day we wake up and we show up as a caricature of ourselves, right? Every day we walk in the world imagining who we are, imagining how people see us, worrying about how people see us, trying to be a particular way. So mental fabrication plays a role in selfing right? We can become a character. We can choose to show up as a lively, energetic human being, or sometimes we just show up bitter and cranky and fatigued, whatever the case may be on any given day. But let's not forget that that's partly a fabrication, right? We're taking the ingredients of the world and we show up as a self. Moment to moment, we fabricate a self. We have an imagination of who we are, how we see ourselves and how other people see us in this kind of acting <laughs> Being a human being is basically an acting gig, right? That's basically what it is. We pretend to be self-confident, right? We pretend to have our shit together. I mean, it's basically an Oscar-winning role, right? We do this all the time. We pretend we're not afraid. We're the only ones that aren't afraid of stuff, right? We pretend others aren't afraid, right? We pretend we're the ones that are only the ones that are insecure. So mental fabrication is such a big deal in the Dharma. And like I said, next week, we're going to go deep into practice around this, but think of it in those terms mental fabrication in these different ways. And you'll start to see that you're quite an expert at this. You're quite an expert at fabrication. Okay. Some concluding points. And then I want to walk you through just a little bit of an exercise here. The reason mental fabrication and fabrication itself is such a big deal, uh, again, is because we're participating in our experience. The Buddha said this incredible thing, which always really strikes me as so profound. He said that it's not materiality that's the problem. It's not the objects in the world that are the problem. It's not the drugs and alcohol and sex and whatever distraction. It's not Instagram or Twitter or whatever the case may be. It's not that that is the problem. It is that we spend so much time imagining, anticipating, fantasizing and longing for those things. And that pulls us away from the liveliness and energetic presence of being. And so the Buddha reminded us that 
It is the constant anticipation and projection that becomes an issue, not the things themselves. It's the so much time we spend imagining the past in order to regret it, right? Imagining the past in order to create the grudge. Imagining the future because we're discontented with the present and we're just thinking, God, if I could only have, and then imagining the wealth and the whatever we're imagining, if I could only have the this type of this or that type of that, and then we spend our lives, right, in this fabrication. So that's something to remember is that it's not the things, it's how we fabricate our experience of the things that is the real focus of our suffering. And as I mentioned before, the real possibility of being able to co-create an experience of happiness as well. The other thing to remember, and this is kind of um, just about meditation itself, but I thought of this today when I was reflecting, is that always, always, always with meditation, what we are doing is taking unconscious processes. I need to figure out how to say that, right? Uh, the unconscious process of the heart and mind, and we're engaging in it consciously. We are taking an unawakened mind that lives according to habit, according to prejudice, according to bias, according to unreflected energies, and we are making them conscious. So we're doing things that we normally do unconsciously, and we're doing them consciously so we can direct them towards happiness. So the way that the mind fabricates moment to moment, we're practicing doing what it's already doing and trying to do it in a way that leads to freedom. So we're basically, as I said, I think last week, we're getting out of the passenger seat and moving into the driver's seat, doing what has been done for us and doing it intentionally. That's the whole beauty of mindfulness is it gives us the opportunity to do these things intentionally. And in doing that, we get to decide, instead of fabricating something that makes us feel crappy, we get to fabricate something that makes us feel joy. So that's the other part of why these topics are so important. All right, we're at, we're at time. So those who uh, need to take off, thank you so much for, again, joining us as always. Uh, for those who would like to fabricate some generosity into loving kindness, uh, please feel free to stay behind. But thanks so much for everyone for coming. Fabricating love. Here we go. Take a few intentional breaths. Breathe in a way that relaxes the body and brings back to life the Vedana of this moment, the actual aliveness in this sitting being. Notice how you're feeling. Notice how you know that you're feeling.
in this place of centeredness, awake and aware to this present moment experience. Let us change the experience gently by offering some gratitude to everyone in this room. Let us offer some gratitude for the generosity of their presence in our lives. The gratitude of spiritual friendship. It may feel like, from one perspective, that we came to a meditation gathering. But what actually happened is we co-created it. Together with our hearts and minds, we came together to support each other in practice. What a blessing. And with that joy of gratitude, let us wish well for all beings. And let's practice a little mental fabrication, a little visualization. Let's imagine what would the world be like if all beings were free from danger, free from worry and concern, and free from harm. Let's imagine what would the world be like if all beings were awake and aware to true joy, true compassion and kindness in this very lifetime. What would the world be like? And how would you show up in a world where all of us were free from suffering? And let's conclude this evening by answering our famous question. In this moment, if we could wish anything for all beings and know that wish would come to pass, what would it be? And you might try and imagine beings being the beneficiary of that wish. Imagine all beings being the beneficiary of that wish.
So good to see y'all. Thanks so much. Next week we get to see how good we are at imagining things. <laughs> much love to you guys. Stay safe and be well. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.